teaching. In fact, Clarissa didn't know this, but I'm going to do some teaching out of Ecclesiastes. Um, it's probably one of the most, um, well, it's a bit of a forgotten book. We're not really sure sometimes when, I don't know if you've ever read it, but it's not the most warm-hearted reading. You don't want to read it just before you go to sleep. Um, they believe it was written by Solomon, and uh, the name actually Ecclesiastes comes from a Latin word that means teacher, because actually the person who wrote the material, probably Solomon, calls himself teacher in the book, in a Hebrew, and a very old Hebrew word, and when they translated that into Latin, um, Ecclesiastes, that's sort of stuck for the title of the book, so that's where the name of the book comes. It literally means from the teacher or the teacher. And so we're going to look a little bit about um, handling the opposites of life because I don't know what sort of season you're in right now in your life, but one of the things that we all experience and encounter in life is very good, joyous, wonderful moments, but then we also encounter very painful, intense, difficult problems, trials as well. Now, we would love a version of Christianity that excludes us from the negative things that we experience in life, all the struggles and trials and difficulties, the pain and the suffering. We would love a version of Christianity that God actually stops all that from happening. But in fact, what the Bible teaches us quite consistently is there will be times for all of us, there are no exemptions, that we will experience moments we'd rather avoid at any cost, where you will suffer, it will be difficult, you don't fully understand what's happening, um, and we, we'd rather live in all the good times, but life consists of both polar opposites. Incredible, wonderful times and very harsh, difficult times. And, of course, just looking at our nation um, and even the world this week, um, we're affected by things that happen around us that we have no control over, and that we have no influence or we can't actually change the circumstances. So some world events affect us personally as a culture, or a country and individually. And then there are national events, so like the bushfires, for example, that also affect us. And I know many people here um, who are in our service today lived through Black Saturday just over 10 years ago. And you may have some friends and family, as I know we do have, that are affected by the current fires as well. And so... Things happen globally, nationally, but also individually or personally where we would rather avoid them and we don't understand what's going on. So let me do a little bit of a memory test here. Who here remembers going to primary school and having to drink a little jar of milk that was very lukewarm? Put your hand up high. So maybe about half. Who has never had to drink lukewarm milk at primary school? Put your hand up. Look at that. Generation gap right there. That, that lukewarm milk was almost yogurt, wasn't it? On a summer day, you know, like February, March. Uh, I remember those days. Who here has never actually used a rotary dial phone? Never. You've never had to use one. You know what made me think about that? Just a couple of weeks ago, I had to register my details with a company and the lady at the desk said to me, we need your next of kin number or someone we can contact if we can't get in touch with you. And I said, oh, sure, I'll give you my wife's number. And she said, okay, so what's the number? And I went, because I never have to ring it. 
you know, because mobile phones, our technical, logical sort of advancement is you just press the name in favourites. And so I had to actually look up my wife's mobile number and I thought to myself, when we used to have to dial a number with the rotary turning and it spin back, you remembered the numbers, right? And wasn't it horrible when you got halfway through the number and you dialed the wrong number? You have to start all over again. You have to hang it up. Who here has ever, like myself, recorded something on a reel-to-reel tape? The big reel-to-reel tapes. Who doesn't know what a reel-to-reel tape is? There's a few people. It's amazing how quickly things change. So let me do one more test. I'm going to play you a little song. It's from 1965. And if you remember this song, I want you to sing along. It's from a group called The Birds. I can see quite a few people singing. Okay, you can pause it there, Dan. Thank you. Who's never heard that song? It's amazing. Generation Gap. Generation Gap. That song was written by a guy called Peter, and he was actually an anti-war folk singer. So you've ever heard of, this is going to show you my age group, right, but Barry Maguire... You know, all those... He was in that sort of folk era of the late 50s into the 60s. And uh, he wrote that song as a protest against the wars that were happening um, in the, for, with the US participating, so in Korea and those sort of things. Eventually, it got used for the Vietnam War. A lot of protest songs were very popular in the 60s. But what Peter did, actually, is that is a straight take from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. In fact, he doesn't really mix the words up very much. He doesn't add much. He really, in fact, the title of the song, Turn, comes from the original King James translation of the Bible where it says the seasons turn. Now, in, in modern translations that we have in front of us today, they usually don't use the word turn. They just say for everything there's a season under heaven. So we're going to read that passage in fact we're going to read three paragraphs together in ecclesiastes 3 they'll come up on the screen in a minute when we cover them but if you have your own translation in front of you um, please uh, open it some people have a preferred translation actually if you need a pen does anybody need a pen to take notes i wonder yeah so there's a couple here so can i have just a couple of hosts thanks guys just grab the we have a stash of pens at the back there just keep your hand up high and they will get a pen to you why they're doing that, part of the reason what I want to do today is, you know, when we come to church, we all have different sort of expectations. If you've never been into a church service, you may not know what to expect, and so everything is new. If you've come on and off, you sort of know what to expect, and sometimes if you come regularly, we have preferred things that we look for in a, in a service like today. So some people look for incredible worship and that's the main thing that sort of they focus on other people look for um, some good bible teaching and so you know it doesn't matter whether the worship's good or bad they prefer some quality bible teaching other people look for children's program for their children i mean there's all these different expectations but let me just remind us today just before we read our bible passage today the main reason we come to church is to connect with god and to hear from him. Now, all the other things are important. We do them 
Well, partly because God tells us to do them, so we sing in worship to him. That's what we've done. Um, we take up our giving because the Bible commands that Christians have to give to what God is doing in the world. It costs money to do things like run a church or to do missions or help with the bushfires. So we give generously. That's one of the things the Bible teaches us to do as his followers. But whatever your expectations are of a church, and particularly a church service, it's not good Bible teaching, it's not great worship, it's you connecting with God yourself, hearing him speak to you, and you taking what he tells you about your life, where you are right today, and applying it to your circumstance, to live it out. It's not rhetoric, you know, in our, in our sort of um, part of Christ, the Christian family, we don't do liturgy and those sort of things, not that, not that we're against it, but our main passion is that God can speak to us right now and that he wants to help us live a life that is full, a well-lived life. It's actually one of our values in our church, you may not be aware of this, but one of our values is training for life. Training for life, that's the phrase we use. We believe that if you want to get the most out of life as a follower of God and a disciple of Jesus Christ, we have to actually intentionally be developed and put into practice what God tells us about how to do life, how to live life. And one of those things which I think we, it's a bit hard to talk about is what I want to talk about today. How do we do life when it's difficult, when we have to manage the difficult times or the struggles? And it, it, what's fascinating is the Bible's actually filled with stories that tell us that difficult times come. So think of Abraham and Sarah. They had plenty of difficult times and yet after that season of their life where they were elderly, had no child, they become the patriarchs and the matriarchs to our faith, right? God uses them, calls them, tests their faith, challenges them. And so we often think of when we read narrative historical stories like Joseph being accused and ending up in prison for something he didn't do but eventually becomes prime minister or we read the story of Ruth who is destitute, abandoned, and eventually God makes a way for her to marry Boaz. Or when we think of, say, Esther, who has to confront the king about the possible extermination of her whole people group and take the risk of going before a king unannounced or uninvited, we have plenty of actual historical accounts that show us. It doesn't, it doesn't teach us in a didactic form, but it shows us that all of us go through seasons of life that are difficult and painful, frustrating, that we'd rather avoid. Life isn't just made up of great times. There are great times as well. And so we have to manage what I call the opposites of life, from the good times to the bad times. And whatever season you're, you believe you're in right now, we want to train you to do life well. And so that's my goal today. So managing the opposites of life. You know, life is full of contrast and it's sort of woven together, unexpected things happen, and so how do we manage them? So let's read Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, um, not for any particular reason, it's just that it's sort of a bit clearer in the text, but again, if you've got your own preferred translation. And I'm going to try and explain a couple of things that are, are in there, because, because it was written in an ancient culture that we don't live in, um, it might sound a little bit, some of the things are not very clear in, in English in what they were mean, in what they mean when they were written. So here we go, Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1. For everything there is a season, 
a time for every activity under heaven. Now, when he mentions time there, he's not, there's, there's sort of this play on this Hebrew, Hebrew idea that things don't happen just on a certain date. They can do. So at the, we know, for instance, that Paul says, at the right time, God sent his son into the world. So sometimes things do happen on a particular date. But the other thing that's embedded in the Hebrew idea of time that we don't see in our English translation is the concept that it's actually the maturity that is of time or your maturity where things will happen. So we live in this tension of sometimes God has a particular day that he'll act on something according to his plans. Other times it's about our growth and development and it's not a particular date but our maturity, readiness for him to act. And so there is a season for everything, good and bad. And so what we have now is a list. They're actually called couplets in theological terms. We have 14 couplets, 14 things that are put together by the teacher who's writing this as he observes how life generally works for most people. So verse 2, he starts off with the big one. There's a time to be born and there's a time to die. Now, we all love new birth, don't we? When a baby's born, it's just a beautiful, wonderful thing. When someone is dying, it's much more difficult to be a part of that experience, right? But he puts this sort of positive and negative thing and couples them together so we understand that life is going to include both of these experiences. And in fact, he starts with sort of the biggest ones, life or birth and death, as like bookends of all the things that he's now going to write that we experience. He says in verse, uh, the second part of verse 2, a time to plant and a time to harvest. Now, it's obviously what he means there in, a, in an agricultural society. That's exactly, it's literal. But for us, you know, we may not be planting seeds so we can feed ourselves. But for us, it's more about, you know, when we, for instance, if you go to work, then the time that you spend at work, you harvest the cash or the salary out of that to actually help you live and get through life. Then he says in verse 3, a time to kill and a time to heal. Now theologians say for this sentence, he's talking probably about two things. Literally, when nations go to war, as they still do today, and you know, in the news this week there was a whole lot of horrible things that happened in our, in our planet around that. But also there's a time to heal. So it's not just wars between nations, but actually... Sometimes relationships are destroyed, personal relationships. And sometimes you have to heal those relationships that are in struggle or difficulty, like forgive them or reconcile yourself to somebody. Then there's a time to tear down. It's the same thing, relational or it could be literal, like renovating a building or in a time to build up. A time to cry, that is weep. And then there's a time to laugh. A time to grieve and a time to dance. So you can see these, these things are put together, positive and negative, positive and negative. A time to scatter stones, so that's like giving away. Giving, you, ever, you ever had to give things away that you didn't want to give away or God prompted you to be generous and it was sacrificial for you? There's a time to do that. But then there's also a time to gather stones or to gather things in. A time to embrace and a time to turn away. So that's relational 
Some theologians say in Hebrew that has a sexual connotation for couples. So there's a time to come together and a time not to come together. There's a time to search and a time to quit searching. Don't you hate it when you have to quit searching because you just haven't found what you're looking for? There's a time to keep and a time to throw away. Not for anyone who's a hoarder, by the way. Um, you know, we all love keeping things. Throwing them away is not actually who loves throwing things away. I'm putting my hand up because I'm a person, if you haven't used it in two or three years, it's just got to go, right? Yeah, thanks, Jordan. But no, I know not everyone, not everyone agrees with me on that one. There's a time to tear and a time to mend. So again, theologians say this is literal. It could actually be about clothing and the use, you know, limited clothing that they had in the ancient world and they would use it for different things and then they would have to mend it. But for us, you know, we often don't have that problem, at least in Australia, but also it can mean a relation, has a relationship tone to it as well. There's a time to actually separate from somebody and a time to mend that relationship back. There's a time to be quiet and a time to speak. I'm not going to say any more about that one because I'll get into trouble. There's a time to love and a time to hate. Now, some people read that and I think, well, that's harsh. I don't think God would ever include that in his word for us to live out. But it's not a teaching on... It's, the idea here is there's a time to actually make sure that love is the most important thing and hate things that destroy relationships, prosperity and peace. There's not actually hating people because that's how it can read that way. But in Hebrew, it has this idea of we hate things that actually destroy our peace, our relationships and our prosperity. And then the last one is a time for war and a time for peace. So this... You know, Solomon, if Solomon wrote this, this sort of wise teacher, what he's doing is standing back and he's looking at how life has worked over his lifetime. The general observations of what's true for most people. It's not really a list of everything that we experience, but it's more like a poetic snapshot expressing something in poetry around there are opposites in life that we all have to actually learn to live through and manage we have no control over it. And so there are some things in the text that I want to highlight to you that should help you in whether you're in a good season or not a good season right now today. It will help you even in the future of how do you manage it when you're in a difficult season in your life. So here's number one. You can write, I've got a few blanks you can write down in your notes there. The first one is I have to expect and intentionally plan for the opposites of life. You can't be in denial. You can't think it's not going to happen to you. Difficult times won't come to me. You can't sort of just bury your head in the sand and think, you know, I, I see other people going through very difficult trials and problems, but that'll never happen to me. What we have, what we, what the teacher is trying to tell, you know, he was originally writing to his own Hebrew culture, but now we take it as... God wants us to learn the same lesson that he was teaching his own people. Today, God wants us to learn the lesson is you have to understand these are going to be part of your life experiences and they will come sometimes expectedly, sometimes unexpectedly. They will come sometimes as a, as a function of what's happening in the world around us, so outside of our own personal lives. But sometimes it happens in our personal lives, in our workplaces, in our families, um, even in our bodies with our health, we have to be intentional in the way we plan. 
That's the first thing he's telling us. These things are going to come. We don't know when. We don't always understand why. And we're going to read the next two paragraphs in a moment. And he explains a little bit more about his observations of God through these opposites of life. Because we all want to live in the positive experiences of life. But sometimes we go through the negative experiences of life. And that's part of being intentionally planning for it. So... For me personally, Christianity is not just a Sunday morning expression. This, I, I don't compartmentalise my Christianity by just coming to church on a Sunday and then forget about God and my relationship with him for the rest of the week. The whole, Again, the whole value that we have of training for life at Uni Hill Church is around that Christianity is supposed to invade every aspect of your life, whether you're in a good season or a bad season, that we keep God at the centre and the problem is when we face a trial, a painful, difficult time, we can feel like God has forgotten about us. We feel like God is ignoring us. We feel like sometimes even God is against us. We can have well-meaning people explain to us, or maybe you've done something wrong. Like we read in Job and his three friends, one of them in particular was telling him, maybe you've offended God or sinned against God, and that's why your hardship has come. But what I want to do today is sort of open up a little bit more of your understanding biblically that just because you're in a very difficult, hard season does not indicate that God is upset with you. It doesn't actually say that God is not listening to you or God is ignoring you or you've offended God somehow. In fact, you can't make that interpretation based on a difficult circumstance. So, for example, let's take the life of Joseph. He didn't sin against God and look at the years of hardship sold by his brothers into slavery, resold in Egypt, ends up in a wealthy house, is accused of attacking the man's wife, which he didn't do, ends up in prison. Totally injustice. And yet he had done nothing wrong. So we have to be very careful, not just about how we evaluate our own life experiences in our relationship with God when we're in tough times, but also what we say to other people. Because one thing that I've learned is that your current season is not an indication of your next season. Same with Joseph. Ends up as, now he's forgotten in prison, if you read his story in Genesis. Of course, he, he says to one of his cellmates, when he has to go before the king, make sure you tell the king I'm still stuck in here. And his cellmate even forgot to mention that. So he spends another, I think it's another year or two in prison, un, you know, needlessly. But eventually, um, the king has a dream and he interprets the dream. And of course, some of you know the story. He becomes effectively the prime minister of, of Egypt, um, responsible for storage and the financial structure of grain and all that sort of stuff, which of course leads to the salvation of Israel. But when Joseph stuck in prison, you couldn't predict where God was going to take him. So we have to be very careful what we say to other people who are struggling or suffering. And we have to be very careful about how we look at our own lives or how do we interpret our relationship with God when we're in the midst of a trial. Because really what the teacher or Solomon is trying to say to us here just through these first eight verses of chapter three is that all of us are going to experience great and very hard times. And so we have to plan for them. We have to be intentional. So then I was thinking, well, how do you plan for it? 
How do you plan for stuff you don't know is going to happen to you? So I was thinking about my own life, and Sue and I were talking about this the other day. I sort of said to Sue, what have we done to plan for some things? So some of the things that we've done is, well, number one, she's an incredible, you know, accountant. It's probably a bit like Clarissa, right? Counts every cent. You know, I, I don't worry about it. I don't have to even think about it. I don't know how much I earn. I don't know how much I've got in the bank. That's, that's absolutely true. She knows, right? So, you know, what we've done over the years is we've learned when we had, because, you know, like, like it says here, there's a time to be in plenty or harvest and there's a time where, you know, you're going you're gonna to struggle to pay your bills or to get through life financially and we've been through many of those times but we've learned to actually always put some amount away because you never know what's going to happen. Another thing that we've done to intentionally plan for difficult times is when, when we see someone else suffering, so any form, whether it's a very difficult relationship, whether it's financial, um, sometimes Christians treat each other badly. I mean, whatever the life circumstance, sometimes out of work, can't find a job, and you see that person living that experience with well, wisdom and grace, they're not bitter and twisted, is have a conversation with them. Learn from people who have actually gone through those periods because they will share things with you that you can't learn any other way. One of, the, one of the amazing truths that the Bible teaches us is we learn things through suffering that you can't learn through any other avenue. And so when other people are going through experiences, even though you may never go through the same exact circumstance, why wouldn't you actually learn from their example? Now, obviously, you're not going to go to someone who's in, in, you know, struggling um, because you know they really all the questions we have of why we can't we don't have all the answers we don't we're going to about to find out even Solomon says we don't fathom all the things that God is doing in these seasons but we know that God is in charge of all of them so you've got to take steps to actually you know prepare yourself and be intentional around it and you've probably got some other ideas that you can do it so you have to intentionally Expect and plan for the opposites of life. Let's go back to Ecclesiastes 3. I'm going to read the next two paragraphs back to back. And he poses the first question after he's done these sort of 14 opposites and positives, these negatives and positives, 14 of them through verses 1 to 8. Look at verse 9, the very first thing that he says after this reflective poetic expression of the managing the opposites of life, he says, what do people really get for all their hard work? What a great question. Now, in some older translations, it says for all their toil, because it's not just about literal working, it's actually about the experience of life. What do we get for all of our life experiences? So both work and toil. So then he says, I have seen in verse 10, the burden that God's placed on all of us. That is to go through these positive and negative experiences in life. Yet God has made everything beautiful for in its own time. So again, the whole thing about maturity of time, not just a date. But somehow what he's saying is, when I look and observe of all the different extremities that life consists of, I can see that God is... It's like, it's like weaving it together and it all fits somehow. 
It all adds or contributes to life somehow. Can't fathom it, but I can see that actually God's made it all fit like a, like a grand sort of person who's doing a tapestry. It all comes together. Even though if I pull it apart, I can't fathom it as a human being. So then he says, he has planted eternity in the human heart. Now that's not, um, we read that today in, in our English translations and particularly for those of us who are Christians, we read that and think of heaven. But in fact, what Solomon is teaching here is not the idea of eternity of, of being with God, but the whole idea that we're aware that past generations have suffered things both good and bad. We have suffered things both good and bad in our generation and the next generation to come is going to suffer good and bad as well. So it's not eternity as we often attribute it in our most modern Christian ideas. The idea is we're aware of past, present and future and the whole thing just rotates. Good and bad is going to come for all of us. And that's what he calls eternity. It's this awareness of past and future. He says, but even so, um, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. So all this stuff's happening, but we don't comprehend. We can, we can sometimes take a guess. Um, theologians discuss why difficult things happen and suffering. And, you know, there's a whole lot of literature around why God allows suffering and you can certainly probably either read it or if you have read it, you know that really you still can't fathom everything. And so what he says is, even though this stuff is always happening to every generation, God's still in charge and there's a sense of God weaving something together for his purpose, but we can't see the scope or the depth or the breadth. We don't see the beginning and we don't see the end. But God's up to something. And so then he says his conclusion, verse 12. So he's, 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 just follow me for a moment. He's said, here's 14 negative and positive things that sort of are a broad stroke of great and difficult times that most people experience in their lifetime. Then he's just said, well, we can't understand it, but God is actually up to something. We know that it happens to all people, all generations. And now we're about to read his conclusion upon his reflection. He says, so I concluded in verse 12, there's nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can. And everybody said? Be happy and enjoy yourself. Now some translations say eat and drink. In fact, in the next verse, look at verse 13. And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labour. So again, not, this is not talking about work as we understand it as Westerners. This is the toil of living life. The good and bad times. It's not going to work um, or planting or harvesting in a literal sense. It's just the burden of living life that consists of positive and negative experiences. He says, after I've looked at all of what people and humanity goes through, my conclusion is we should actually enjoy life. Do good and enjoy life. That's the fruit or that's, that's the result of what God has given us. He says they're gifts from God. Underline the word gift. If you've got a Bible there, they're gifts from God to do good and enjoy life. Then verse 14, and he says, I know whatever God does is final. In other words, it, 
It's going to go on forever. We can't change it. Human beings have no control over what God does. What he does is final. Nothing can be added to it or taken away from it. God's purpose is that people should fear him. And not in a negative sense. Again, in English, we think of um, being afraid of somebody. But it's, it's a, almost a more accurate way of translating this Hebrew word is to be awestruck or to be overcome because of the greatness of God. God's purpose is that people should fear him. What is happening now has happened before and what will happen in the future has happened before because God makes the same thing happen over and over again. So out of the five keys that I'm going to give you today, first one was you have to intentionally plan for the opposites of life. The second one, out of these verses here that we've just read, I have to live according to the current season of my life. You know, timing is everything. In, uh, before I got involved in, in working at a, at a church and Christian ministries, I was a chef. And I can tell you as a chef, timing is everything. It's everything. You leave something in an oven too long, timing is everything. If you put the wrong ingredient in at the wrong time, it's not coming out the way you expect or the way it looks in the, in the book. You know, don't you hate the cookbooks and all these beautiful images and when you make the thing with the recipe, it looks nothing like it? Timing is everything. And what one of the observations he's making is we better live according to the current season we're in. So if you have to save, you better start saving. If, if you're suffering, you better get with people who can encourage and strengthen you. Don't make silly, rash decisions based on being in a trial or a difficult circumstance, which some people do. That's effectively what he's telling us. He's saying God's still in control. We're all going to go through difficult circumstances, so live according to the season you're in because timing is everything. Just ask a musician about timing. I mean, I saw, so I said hello to Jared before. Timing is everything. When someone's out of time in a band or an orchestra, you hear it, don't you? For someone who goes surfing, any surfers in the house? Timing is everything. You want to catch that wave? Ask a doctor. Timing is everything. Or a surgeon or a chemist. Ask your boss when you're late for work about timing being everything. Bad timing leads to sometimes unrecoverable losses or damages. So you have to live your life according to the season that you're currently in. Don't ignore it. Don't deny it. Here's a couple of things when I've gone through very difficult times in my life, a couple of reflections that I've learned. And you can write these down. They're not on the screen. I think God is more interested in maturing me as his disciple or his, his child than making me comfortable. He doesn't always remove the difficulties because it will reshape me in such a way that it actually transforms me into the likeness of his son, which is his ultimate goal for all of us. So his ultimate goal is not to make us as comfortable as possible now. You'll be very comfortable in eternity. What you're going to take into eternity is the lessons you've learned in this life. And so God's more interested in shaping and moulding me and more interested in shaping and moulding you 
than rescuing you from every little thing that happens, even though it's harsh and difficult and it's not easy to experience, it, you know, when you're in a relationship with God, it has an effect of actually helping to mature and grow and develop you in such a way you can't get there anywhere else. You certainly don't grow in the same way when everything is good and you have no challenges or difficulties in life. You don't grow the same way. You probably don't even grow spiritually the same way. So really God's more interested in my growth. Here's another thing that I've learned. Limits, limitations are actually God's grace. It's easy to say, but it's very hard hard to live, right? Some of us have physical limitations. Some of us have financial limitations. You know, we, we all have different limitations. But limitations are actually God's grace in disguise because it helps to keep God right at the centre of where he should be. Otherwise, we put ourselves right at the centre of our own lives. So limitations are not my enemy and it's not God's judgement or God's anger. It's actually God's grace sometimes that he limits what I can do or can't do or the influence I'm going to have or I can't change the circumstances I'm, I'm experiencing because nothing operates independently from God, including the limitations I experience and you experience. Here's the other thing I've learned about the second point, living according to my current season of life. No season is permanent. It feels like it at the time. And some seasons go on for a very long time, not denying that. We can have many years of hardship in our lives, but it's never permanent. The very nature of a season means another one's going to come. Just like in nature, we have generally four seasons, um, roughly speaking, in Australia. I'm not sure how many seasons. In Melbourne, you can have four seasons every day. But uh, seasons by nature means they'll change. We don't know when or how. That's what we don't know. God knows. God's weaving it together, but we don't know. So I have to expect and intentionally plan for the opposites of life. I have to live according to the current season of my life. And here's the third one. My life is a part of God's divine purpose. So one of the the things that fascinates me, reflecting back a little bit what Solomon's done here, reflecting back on the difficult and the horrible times I've been through in my life is this. The things that happen to me are not always about me or they're not limited to just being about me. Even the horrible things that have happened to me, if I live well and follow God's advice of how to navigate and negotiate a difficult season, it has benefits in my family, in my extended family, in my church family, you know, I have unsaved neighbours that we're ministering into. It has benefits into their life. The problem is when we're in pain, all we think about is ourselves. So when Joseph is sold by his brothers, ends up in Potiphar's house, ends up in prison, it wasn't just about him. But how, how do we forget that? When, things, when bad things happen to us, we, we, we sort of blame God. You left me, forgotten about me, helped me. But God is up to something that's far beyond what we realise. He has a divine purpose that is far greater than just your individual existence. It includes the, everyone else you have contact with, people at work probably, people maybe you haven't even met yet. You don't know. 
So when a tough season comes, don't just think about yourself, but how to live or how do I navigate this tough time so it brings glory to God and I grow through it. See, we only see a minuscule fraction of what God is up to. We never see the intricate detail of what God's weaving together. But we are contributing to his overall masterpiece in Bandura, in your life, in your family's life, in the world, in God's kingdom. We're contributing to that by following him. But we don't see the whole thing. So my life is part of God's divine purpose. It's not just about me. It can be much broader and usually is. Here's the fourth thing as I bring this to a close. We read this actually in in Ecclesiastes 3.14. I can worship God in every season of my life. In fact, the reflection that we get from Solomon after looking at how life works and how we we can't fathom or understand everything that's going together, but God is weaving it together, he actually says in verse 14, God's purpose, in other words, the reason for all of the stuff that happens in life is that we will be in awe of him. That we will actually bow down and say, you are God. You did speak to me. You, you were in the midst of my suffering. You never left me. I, I, I'm following you. I'm not giving up on you. That's true worship. Worship isn't just coming to a service on a Sunday and opening your mouth and singing. Worship is not song in and of itself. Worship is an attitude of your heart and how you live. Now, again, I'm being realistic. I've been through some very hard, difficult times where I felt like I couldn't even walk into a church, let alone worship God. But every time I put myself in the space with other Christians, the Lord ministered to me. So he's not saying it's going to be easy, but, it, but one of the things that Solomon is telling us, and I feel God speaking to a few people here today, is you don't give up on worshipping the God who's weaving it all together. Just because you can't fathom or understand it or comprehend it, don't quit. Don't blame him. He's, he's promised to be right with you in the midst of it. And when we gather together like this on a Sunday, we're contributing to supporting and encouraging and strengthening each other. So we have to worship God no matter what season we're in, good or bad. Here's the, here's the final one, the fifth one. So you have to expect an intentionally plan live according to the current season, see your life as part of God's bigger purpose, worship God no matter what season you're in. And the fifth one I think the text is teaching us here is I have two gifts from God regardless of my season. That is I can do good and I can enjoy life. One of the, one of the amazing things about suffering is what you take out of suffering at the other end is that you can help someone who's going through a similar experience. And years ago, I did a degree in, in counselling and I you know, used to work at Teen Challenge, did a lot of counselling there. One of the most amazing dynamics I witnessed firsthand over and over again, if I could get one of my clients who was, who was really struggling to even get up in the morning or feel like life was worth living, if they started doing good for somebody else, it changed their whole perspective. It didn't change their circumstance, but you've always got something to contribute to another life, no matter how you feel or what you're going through. 
But again, when we're in intense pain, we feel like we've got nothing to give. And if we can just, one of the things I think he's teaching us here is this is not self-centeredness of, you know, just eat a lot and drink a lot. The enjoyment of life does come from what you put into it, but it also comes from doing good to help others. Whether you're in a good season or a bad season, you can always do that. You've always got something to contribute to someone else's life. Now, you know yourselves, think of the last time you were in a very difficult time, you really felt like you couldn't go on, and then you see or meet someone or you hear someone who has a greater need or is suffering more than you do, and you actually go and either see them or have a conversation with them, and how it shifted you. We can all do good and enjoy life. That's one of the enjoyments of life is actually... I mean, really, the act of love is helping someone else in need, whether you feel like you've got anything to give or not. So we can all do that in good times or harsh times. And if you, in, your, in your, the hardship of life, when that comes, if you just sit and sort of navel gaze or just get stuck in only thinking of your struggle, you miss out on enjoying life and the opportunities to minister and serve and love somebody else. Again, that's the nature of like pain. It, it sort of isolates and separates us. So we, let me bring this to a conclusion. We don't have any control over the seasons of life. But what we learn through these three paragraphs from Solomon's, you know, he's probably a, an older man. Most theologians believe he's, he's in his older age when he writes this. And he's quite reflective about there's some tough times for most people, but in the midst of it, God is working. In the midst of it, I realise that God is still with me. And so whatever season you think you're in today, and in fact, the start of a new year, I know it's the second Sunday of the year, we don't know what 2020 is going to hold for you or for me but we know the person who holds everything together. And we have a relationship with our God who has promised never to leave or forsake us. Whether we're having a great time or a very painful time, God is right here in the midst. And so I want you to take those five things, you know, put it in either in your Bible or stick it on your fridge. Just leave it there for the year and see what the Lord speaks to you about as the year unfolds for you personally or as a family or us as a church. Now, you know, we can make plans. Everyone makes their own plans, but really God is the one who's in charge and he wants us to worship him no matter what we're going through in life. Can we stand together? I'm going to pray for us and we'll bring our service to a close this morning. You might be in a season of difficulty right now. Maybe a season of waiting. You might be in a season where you're really suffering. You're in pain either physically, relationships maybe are, are severed. That's one of the seasons I'm going through right now. Some relationships in my life that are very difficult. But as we enter into this year, I just want to remind you that God is going to mature you, grow you and strengthen you no matter what season you're in. And if you're in a good season, minister into the life of somebody who is struggling. Some of God's plans happen at an appointed time like a date, while other of God's plans will happen 
in the maturing of time and sometimes the maturing of us. So let's pray. Father, we can't pick what's going to happen. We can't predict it. And one of the things that sets us apart from you is you are in charge of everything that's going on. You are God. We're not God. And Lord, my prayer is that strength will come into the lives of any person who is suffering right now. By hearing these words, hearing this truth, we know that you are right with us no matter what we're experiencing. And you've put us in in a family, the kingdom, the church, to help, support, love, minister, give, contribute, encourage. So Father, my prayer is that your Holy Spirit would minister to all of us today. And just because we're about to finish the official part of coming together as your people, we know that your Spirit will continue to minister and speak to us. So Father, we want to dedicate this coming year to us all growing in our faith, in our maturity, and Lord, in our service to one another when someone else is suffering, that we'll be able to actually get alongside and encourage not bring judgment or criticism, but to love, support and nurture. Because you're the only one that knows everything, the way you're weaving it together. Father, we pray for our other churches in our movement. We pray, Lord, for Vanuatu and the churches there. Father, your Holy Spirit is at work in every part of this planet, in every life. And Lord, we're only one, one minuscule part of what you're doing. And you've put us together in this incredible family. And Lord, I pray that we would be the family of God, not just in the way we speak, but actually in the way we treat each other. And that we would be prompted by your spirit to be gentle and kind, to bear one another's burdens. And we'd see the extension of your kingdom in our lives, in our suburbs, in our nation, in our world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.